Today's episode of Lord Have Mercy is brought to you by Truce. For any divorced or separated families who are looking for ways to stay organized and track information, try Truce, the free app for confident co-parenting. Check it out at truce.com. That's T-R-U-E-C-E dot com. You are listening to Lord Have Mercy, a podcast about God, sex, and the Bible. I'm your host, Crystal Cheatham, and today I sit down with Sarah New of Church Clarity. Sarah is a freelance writer and a fellow podcaster, and you can check out her work on Religious Socialism, which is a podcast available on our Bible app. She is a deacon at the Forefront Brooklyn Church, and she co-hosts monthly events for LGBTQ Christians there. In this episode, we talk a lot about our similar backgrounds, but I have to say I am awed and pleased by what she and her co-founders are creating with Church Clarity. And now, let's start the show. So, yeah, I mean, I've listened to a bunch of your episodes, so I'm happy to be on. And Yay! Thank you. I think everybody wants to learn more about... Um, you and your voice and what it is that you're doing in the world because I mean you're on Sojo you are a deacon at your church you are very out as a queer Christian which is like I don't know the there's not that many of us in the world is what I'm learning <laughs> there I think there are more and more but yes percentage-wise and if they feel like they take up my entire Twitter feed sometimes but yeah so. <laughs> all 600 of us <laughs> yeah I sort of just be like it's too much I sort of like unfollowing certain people not because I don't like it it's just like I need other things in my life it's just something happens and then the whole day is spent on dissecting what Shane Claiborne or something I just like get overwhelmed it's so uh, fun <laughs> <laughs> it is pretty fun I was trying to stay out of it a little bit. It's just between church clarity and then, so as a deacon of my church, I co-run our LGBTQ ministry, this event yeah. in my act. Um, so between that and like just having queer Christian friends, I just get a little overwhelmed with having queer Christian things. So that's kind of why I actually enjoy doing the religious socialism podcast. Mm-hmm. It's still religious. It's still like to the left. Um, but I talk to people of different faiths sometimes or just people who work on other things. Um, and other kind of activist issues. So I think we have our next interview coming out. We just did one with uh, a guy named Avi Garlic, Garlic, who is a Jewish kind of anti-gentrification organizer, yeah. a Hebrew teacher. And then we have another one coming out with a, a priest, a uh, former Catholic priest who was excommunicated like four times. Um, and he was one of the co-founders Jeez. of the New Century Movement. Um, I don't know if you heard about it, but it's like a movement to support undocumented immigrants and sort of shed light to their cause. What is it called? The New Sanctuary Movement. Mm, I have heard a little bit about that and mostly just from Twitter. <laughs> I think you're pretty active in Philly as well. You're in Philly, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's so dope. So that's fun. Enjoy doing that. Still all religious stuff though, but that's cool. I guess I'm religious. Where? What's your faith background? Um. So... It's funny, there's this friend, like an acquaintance, I don't usually write a ton about myself, so, but there's someone who's writing a profile of me for Gay City News, if you can't imagine. Um, <laughs> it's, 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 a profile I did not imagine would get written. I, uh, 
wouldn't have predicted that at all, like even three years ago. But um, I grew up in a missionary family, kind of. What? So my parents are are sort of lay missionaries, so they're full time jobs. Um, yeah. But they, particularly my dad, his calling really is to be a he senses it's to be a pastor. So uh, from young, he's been a pastor while being a full-time engineer. So we affiliated with a, a network of churches based in Asia. Mm-hmm. I started in Thailand. It's, I guess what I would describe as like non-denom Pentecostal-ish, um, kind of fundamentalist, but extreme focus on church planting and discipleship making mm-hmm. machine. Um, so that's how we moved to America, actually, was they sent my dad to start a church in Cal- in the United States, because most of their churches are in Asia. My, my thing about, I mean, so when you, I have so many things going on in my head right now. Um, my parents were also missionaries, but they went to Zambia, Africa for like three years when, well, yeah, when I was a kid and, um, they're actually my first memories. So my mom's from Zambia. And so it's kind of, it is home for my entire family. So we do go back to Zambia quite often, but um, I have like so many thoughts and feelings about what it means to be a missionary going into other lands to colonize them. But I guess if, if your parents um, were missionaries, like in their, their native home, then like, does, does, I don't know if, I don't know if it applies. It's still a colonial religion, though. I mean, I, there's a sermon I actually preached in my church on, like, cl- the ways in which I've traced, I can, the impact of colonialism on my family's religion, because Malaysia was colonized by the British. So my mom's first introduction to Christianity was through a colonial uh, missionary school, an uh, Anglican school, because it was the mm-hmm. best school in yeah. her town. And then my dad, it goes back well, multiple generations, for sure. I think it's it's a little different, obviously, because it's a fellow Malaysian trying to evangelize and convert another Malaysian. Mm-hmm. Uh, granted, there's some weird stuff in Malaysia around. If you're Muslim, you're not allowed to be converted. So essentially, you're a missionary. You're, a fert, you're a, it's like illegal. Um, so Ugh. you can only reach out to non-Muslims. I mean, there's some Muslims who convert, but they basically yeah. lose their family yeah. uh, and become ostracized. But uh, so, yeah, it's a different dynamic. I mean, I think I would still call it, like, a cool, kind of if, if influenced by a colonial enterprise because, um, I mean, the pro- plus of my my denomination I grew up in is that it was originated by someone who was from Thailand. So a lot of the teaching that uh, was taught was from him. But if you look at, I think, the worship music we sung, it was all from Hillsong, it was Australian yeah. uh, Band and the like kid raising books that were taught all from James Dobson. Yes, yeah, and see and that's so, the part of the missionary culture that I'm not excited about because it's all coming from the same place. It's same a- place, and there's an extreme like um, rejection of any kind of thing that might hint of syncretism. Mm-hmm. Um, anything kind of anything that contextualizes the gospel in a sort of local context. A lot mm-hmm. of fear, I remember being taught growing up, of rejecting, um, you know, anything Chinese that was too, too superstitious or too, some Chinese Malaysian. Um, yeah. So it just so, cuts out culture, cuts out 
the individuality of the space that you're finding these worshipers at. And it's just, uh, it, it just puts fire in my blood. I just get so angry about it. I do get angry. Um, and when I travel back to Asia, I'm surprised by how like, illiterate I am about most China, uh, Asian religions like Buddhism, Hinduism, Taoism. And so I'm trying to learn more partly to reconnect. I mean, obviously culture affects your faith, even if you don't explicitly allow yourself to do so. Like yeah. for sure, my Confucius values get in the mix or like whatever, what have you. But I think it's more, there's still this mindset that white people got there first, so we have to learn from them in order yeah. to learn our faith. Mm-hmm. And that's just feeding into the white supremacy that has kind of taken over the Christian church. Oh, the audacity of Christianity. Like, uh, that's the book I want to write. <laughs> just making, oh, man. Ooh. Yeah, especially when I was shocked to learn that around what, 500 or 600 AD, there was actually a kind of uh, mission sent from like um, the church to Central Asia and East Asia. Uh, and now we call it, so there was actually a pretty thriving, uh, sort of pretty authentic, it seemed like pretty authentic sort of Christian expression of faith um, that we call like the Nestorian church or the church of the East. And it lasted from 600 to 1400 and it would stretch all the way from sort of like the Middle East all the way to like East Asia. So it's the largest geographic kind of span of any Christian church at that time. But then when, well, it kind of died down due to like a variety of things, um, some persecution. But then when um, European missionaries came, they tried to take those existing Christians and move, convert them to their own expression of Christianity. Mm-hmm. Where there was, you know, some American Protestant version or what have you. So... Yeah, and I think now it's still surviving some form as the, uh, I think it's called the Assyrian Church of the East, potentially, um, different names. So, but the contingent is very small. Yeah. So your your parents, are you an only child? I'm the oldest of four. Oh my God. It's a lot of children. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I have three brothers, so I can't say anything about that at all. <laughs> yeah, yeah. What's our three siblings too? I have yeah, I have three brothers and a half sister. So there's a lot of us. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, we have a lot of things in common. Yeah. When um when did you actually come out? Was it a hard thing for your um semi fundamentalist parents? Uh, yeah, or were they just, just like we knew? Yeah. <laughs> that was a hard thing. I mean, I'm sure they weren't too surprised, but I I would say it sort of had two coming out points. One was kind of accidental in some ways like they found out about a kind of woman person I was seeing when I was a freshman in college okay and it didn't react very well but I think at that time point in time it wasn't that big of a deal because um you know I was I was very devoted I guess I still am um Christian and sort of felt like in order to please God I had to sort of um I couldn't ultimately marry someone who was of the same sex. So I think Hmm. that changed really only about three years ago, more or less. And I came out theologically to my parents to say, my parents are, you know, the way Asian parents are tends to be, it's like, there's no discussion of identity or like who I am. It's just like, 
was what you want. Who cares? You know, like mm-hmm. you got to do what you got to do. So it wasn't when it, when they first found out like 10 years ago, it wasn't like a big reveal. It was just like, okay, I guess you like women or something, but let's just like take, you know, nip this in the bud or something. Like let's take care of that. And so theological come up was much a bigger deal because that was me saying, I commit, I'm, I'm making a conscious choice to pursue something. Uh, and that, uh, has has not been easiest for like both parties but we're working it out you're still in that space of trying to reconcile it with your family and all that jazz yeah i mean it's a lot to get into but yeah i think my because my family has moved a lot we've moved at least five or six times in the time or even more i think we just have a very, we have a very strong connection to each other. Yeah. Um, and I think my parents specifically are trying to figure out what does it mean to be in relationship with me and all parts of my life. So I have a partner, you know, that kind of stuff. Um, without, while maintaining their beliefs or staying true to their morals or something like that, you know, they fear disobedience. So disobedience to God. Mm. They don't want to be disobedient to God, and they don't. Yeah, it's like moral purity politics that they, you know, they've been taught to care about. So, Hmm. so they still feel like, even though you have come to terms with your religion and um, what it means to be a queer woman of color who is also a person of faith, they still feel like it's not enough, and that you're potentially going to hell, even though it seems like you have like a stable relationship with your yeah, it's pretty significant stable. other. I mean, to for what they just disagree. They, we just interpret the Bible differently. So you know, my dad has a very pejorative views of liberal Christians, or progressive Christians, mm-hmm. homosexual theology. I think he likes to say. Um, <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> But I mean, I, I remember holding those views, though, you know, not so long ago, looking down on people who diluted the faith or, you know, um, oh, kind yeah. of I think we are all there distorted the gospel to fit their ideal, the political ideology. I think I prided myself on sort of putting my faith beyond everything. And then yeah. obviously I look back, it's like a false construct. But I know I think um, one of my last podcasts was with um Lou Omer, and she was talking about um, what it means to be a um, to be Pentecostal, and in the Adventist Church, like the idea of jumping up and praising God with your body in the middle of a sermon is just like the biggest taboo and the biggest <laughs> sign that you are just a fake ass Christian, right? And like it's having like the sign that you are a real Christian in the Pentecostal Church, yeah, simply manifesting the Spirit. Yeah, and and for Adventists, Adventists, it's like we don't dance, we don't even clap at church. Um, standing up, so stiff. Oh my God, are you kidding me? Yes, the stiffest, like, like inches away from fucking through a sheet. Like that's Adventism right there in a nutshell. They're just so so concerned about um, um, space and movement and and temptation. Um, but it was from that benchmark that I was looking at not just other Christians, but all the world. And it took a long time for me to kind of um, move move past those um, 
those lines drawn in the sand to better understand everyone else. But um, how did how did you how did you move past all of that? Like you said, only in like the the last three years is that because you fell in love? No, I've definitely you can fell in tell love. Me. Yeah, <laughs> no, it's it's uh, it, it was like I read a couple of books. That was it. No, just kidding. Um, <laughs> I'm curious also. I'm curious also about your process. I don't know if you shared it before, but maybe I like to hear like what your deconstruction or reconstruction is. Um, I mean, essentially, I guess the in college I joined InterVarsity, which actually was like an improvement in some ways from the church I grew up in because it was a bit more grace oriented and less like do everything for God. Um, and I, you know, pride it myself in like being involved in like apologetics and have like a rational foundation for your faith, that type of thing. So I thought I was like much superior to my parents' faith and I really wasn't that different. Um, and then I think, so my partner and I had started kind of dating more or less about, um, oh God, it's been a while, six years ago. Um, and that while we we're together, though, I think I still held a not affirming theology. So in my head, I was just like, I guess this relationship will end uh, at some point. You know, what we're in this because we, we know, yeah, we love each other. So, but it was always this kind of nagging thorn of like, how do I make sense of my experience? Because this is a, this is, seems to be a relationship that brings life and holiness, and um, even if it's. Uh, yeah, and sin tends to do the opposite, right? Sin tends to isolate and elevate the ego, whereas I think holiness, a good sign of holiness is that, you know, it is something that decenters you and causes you to be less selfish and to, mm-hmm. basically what Eugene Rogers writes about in terms of sanctification, yeah. theology of the body. So um, I was trying to make sense of that, but I didn't really have the theological tools to give weight to my experience, um, it was very like scripture, a very originalist approach to scripture. So I joined a progressive church kind of inadvertently. I didn't know it was that church I'm at now for from Brooklyn mm-hmm. and it was becoming progressive. So it was evangelical. Um, and I think talking to my pastor and talking and reading a couple books he recommended just about interpretation of scripture, um, one by Richard Rohr and another one called Disarming Violence. Uh, really kind of opened my mind as to uh, how different ways of being biblical. That the being biblical didn't necessarily mean um, following the instructions laid out in the Bible, but maybe it meant following uh, the model that Paul and Jesus uh, showed us in terms of how they related to their own scriptures. Um, so, and just understand that, the, that there is this kind of dynamic work of the Spirit, even Scripture. Scripture is kind of evolving even in what we see. And so mm-hmm. what if we continued that dynamic instead of, like, capping it there and then? And then you would get into church history and learn all that kind of stuff, and it's like, oh, yes, yeah, this whole, like, is kind of arbitrary. So, mm. yeah, it was a larger paradigm shift for me. And obviously becoming affirming, being able to accept my sexuality was also obviously big, but I think it's even bigger in some ways to finally be able to come to a point where you are allowed to trust your experience um, yeah, and the experience of your community. Mm-hmm. And that, I think, is the most rehumanizing thing. Mm. You're so right. 
we do, I mean, I have spent a lot of time um, not trusting my experience or feeling like I needed to um, just do it, but do it blindly, you know, mm. and then I can't remember what it was that really touched me and brought me back to my center and allowed me to just be myself. I'm trying to think. I'll answer that. Um, at, at what point did you feel, I mean, so like you, you were always attracted to women and you just decided that um, you were going to start. <laughs> um, it, I wasn't very good at following the theology I believed. I think it okay. was just like, oh yeah. But I just read, comp I just compartmentalized it. I'd be like, I like this person, whatnot, but ultimately it's not going to affect like my future. Um, like you so, still thought that you would just like grow up and, and marry a man and fall into yeah, steps. I that marry a man is just be like, I thought I might like just become a nun. I thought I was going to join. What? I kind of like the monastic life. So I was like, you know, I could see, I, I was like, I could see myself being single the rest of my life. Like I wouldn't have like this, you know, relationships with women, but they would end because I would be unwilling to commit anything further. Um, I don't know what I was thinking. So you never got hung up on purity culture. You were never like, I can't ever um, have sexual experiences because Jesus told me not to. I, I was definitely not following purity culture, but I was... Uh, There's something yeah. you're not telling me. I think that you were just like a badass kid. <laughs> <laughs> I, let's, I let's, you know, I'm just kind of aware of what's on the internet. There's still some stuff I have to talk through my parents. That's kind of the main okay. thing. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I kind of lived a double life, I would say, mm. for a good part of my time growing up. And it wasn't some. I'm not something I'm super proud of, though, um, because I've known, yeah. I've known a friend, like a good friend of mine. He was in university when she was in relationship with a woman. So when I was in relationship, I kept it hidden from my Christian friends. Um, and obviously, that, that is an effect of purity culture, the shame of, like, you know, being in a sexual relationship and whatnot. And even though I wasn't like following it, I'd still, you know, internalize the shame of it. Um, but she told her university like friends and was like, I'm not sure with a woman. And then made her step down from leadership. Her like mentor told her to apologize to her for wasting her time. You know, Jeez. that kind of Wait, who? Your partner? No, no, no. A, good, a friend of mine. Oh, okay. Um, and so she kind of courageously, in my opinion, like faced the consequences of the life she was choosing. Mm -hmm. And she still hadn't worked it out. It's not like she thought God was cool with being gay, but she was still like, I have to be honest, I have integrity with where I'm at. And I wish I had more integrity. I think I just, you know, I figure things out on my own, but I'm very much like, um, in general, my personality is very both and. Like, how can I hold both? And I hate to create that trade off. So... Yeah. yeah, I think it's something about the way fundamentalists um, raise their children that you feel guilty for the time you need of for growth and mistakes before you figure everything out. Because mm. like I'm I'm a I'm a very creative person, but then I'm also like so re I'm really really hard on myself, you know. And I know that creativity is not expecting there to be a certain outcome but doing it until you figure it out right but when I mess up or when I think I'm not doing it um 
as I'd like to see myself doing it. I'm just internally frustrated with myself and angry. And I can see the mark on the wall that's like, you should be here, you should be here. So it makes me feel like um, growth isn't linear. And, or it makes me feel like growth is supposed to be linear, but growth is not linear. Growth is, uh, <laughs> for me, for the most part, it's it's like circular, you know? And that's actually how I learn. I learn things, um, when I'm, when I'm, I'm such a bad student because I can't sit through a lecture and learn the plots along the, the path until we get to the final thing. I need to learn like everything about this one thing. And then that circle widens and that circle widens. And anyway, I'm just trying to talk about giving ourselves some room to, to fuck up, which is. No, you're right. You're totally right. Um, I think I, Maybe I'm a little hard on myself in that respect, but but I think that like we, yeah. it's been built into us. Yeah, Just, it's been built. You know, there's some things that you can't you can't let go. Yeah. Train up a child in the way she should go, and even when she is old, she will not depart from it. Unfortunately, some of that's true. Yeah. <laughs> it's uh, it's interesting. I remember uh, that just brings me back to memories. We watched these like home videos. Um, oh. Um, not not home videos, videos shipped from America, I think, of okay. these white kids acting out like the Donut Man. I don't know, maybe this is like a British thing, but um, like, and one of the songs they would sing, they would act out different plays in the Bible. One song Without God's sing. love, you're like a donut. That one? Like no, no, it's a whole skit. I just I have not thought about this in a long time. But um, but one of the songs they would sing was like Train Up Child. In the way he should, uh, and I remember, like, in the way he should go, and even when he is old, he will not depart from this. Yeah, something like that. Yeah, (laughs) I think I had that same tape. (laughs) And I remember actually thinking the boy, one of the boys in the cartoon, was very cute. In the show, was very cute. And I remember actually feeling like more attraction to boys and men when I was younger. But I think, you know, just because most of my experiences happen with women, it has, like, rewired my brain in that way. So that's why I think I I remember when we were at uh, QCF, you asked me about the Kinsey scale thing. And I was going to do the take on the sex because I just feel like sexuality is just a lot more fluid. And, like, it's re- it, it in some ways is about your relationship to your gender in some ways. it's I think there's some connection. So as, the, as yeah, so... It's all to say. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, just so the listeners know, on the website, there are these Kinsey hats, and I had them as shirts when we were at the Q yes. uh, Fellowship Conference. Still getting used to the new name. Q, Q Christian Fellowship. Q Christian Q. Fellowship. Yeah. yeah. Um, and at the end of the conference, I just did not want to take them home with me. Um, I had printed more than I could sell. And I found Sarah in the hall and I was like, if I gave you this Kinsey six shirt, would you wear it? And she flat out turned me down. She was just like, (laughs) I don't want your free shit. (laughs) It's just very important to me. Like I either have two kinds of shirts. One's like free shirts from college or like shirts I feel like authentically define like an authentic portrayal who I am and I yeah, as an Enneagram type four, I think that's just something. Yeah, no, I guess I just wasn't used to, to bumping into somebody who just didn't want free things. Because, like, 
You know, you're just like so serious about it. And I was just like, oh my God, that's amazing. Like, I totally <laughs> respect that. Yes, don't take this I would shirt. I represent myself. That's all. Yes. Yeah. I just think it's a cool, it's a cool, um, it's like a secret language because so many straight people just don't know what the Kinsey scale is no, like as a baseline. Um, and so to be wearing something like that, I think it's just tongue in cheek, hilarious. No, yeah, I get, I get the joke. I get the joke. I wish my <laughs> you understand jokes. <laughs> I understand jokes. Sometimes it takes me a while, though. I think I, I tend to default to seriousness. <laughs> That's not bad. Too complex. Much too complex. Too complex. Much too complex. Too complex. Too 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 complex. Too 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 complex. Lord Have Mercy is brought to you by The Sorting Chat, a newish podcast where three women talk minutiae related to Harry Potter, drink, and laugh alongside occasional guest stars. Like any true literary lover would, they take J.K. Rowling's source material too seriously, but not so seriously that they can't make fun of themselves for it. They post on the first Thursday of each month and sometimes more. Visit thesortingchat.com. So is... is um. Is your partner uh, on the same wavelength as you with your faith? Uh, it's a little tricky. Uh, she also doesn't like to me to talk too much about it because she doesn't like pu- any public yeah, uh, that stuff. Makes sense. But she is Jewish, actually. That's one thing I will say. That's so cool. Uh, so, and has always been... We're sort of the opposite. Like, I grew up very conservative. She grew up pretty liberal and became more religious. Mm. So for her, it was always non-negotiable that women and queer people were, like, part of faith. Mm. Yeah. And she's, I think one thing to do with common is she is fairly religious and um, went to Jewish Theological Seminary. So mm-hmm. she has a pretty, like, um, sophisticated understanding of the Bible that, and respect and admiration for it. Mm. Um, yeah. That's dope. We connect so tell me about your work. Um, church Clarity, I suppose. Yes. Tell me about Church yes. Clarity. Were you church. there when George was getting it off the ground? How did you link up with George? He reached out to me after my Sojourners article mm-hmm. uh, on where I interviewed like LGBTQ evangelicals and why some stayed, why some left the church. And he just said like, Hey, I just feel like we're on some of the wavelengths. Do you want to meet up? So we took a while, but we eventually did. I like through some queer Christian organizing, I did like a networking session mm-hmm. and he was like, Hey, I'm starting this project called church clarity. And I thought it seemed cool, but I was, you know, I'm not, I'm not a very excitable person. <laughs> kind of like pessimistic in general. But it's just one of the things we'll I'm totally digging your vibe. You're fun. (laughs) I'm still pessimistic about church clarity. I mean, not really. Oh, God. (laughs) I mean, George has such big dreams. I'm like, "Uh he does. I guess it could be that. Right now, I'm just trying to get these churches scored. So I don't know. Me and George are on the same wavelength. I'm serious. Because like, at at this point, we've had a couple conversations on the phone. And um, I'm talking to him about our Bible app. And he's talking about church clarity. And we both have like these just like far-flung, highfalutin dreams. Um, Good. I mean, George's job is to think about our future and our financial future. And my job is to think about the present and make sure that the database is up to date. So he just reached out, actually, and we weren't really sure how to collaborate. Uh, and at that point, he um, 
like he actually was hired on as a contractor to help um, kind of create the framework for their scoring. Because mm-hmm. I, I kind of saw it as like a kind of a ghostwriting thing. Like, okay, I'll help them kind of create the intellectual framework, which I do for my clients. Um, and I guess I got more into it. And then he was like, do you want to be a co-founder? I was like, sure. And I ended up putting like, you know, double the hours up, triple the hours I was like paid to do. Can, and you, now- can you tell everyone exactly what Church Clarity is? Oh, yes, yes. Church Clarity is um, essentially a database that holds churches accountable for the clarity of their policies. Mm-hmm. So right now, churches often employ kind of a bait and switch tactic in terms of, which yep. I think you, experience, you tweeted yeah, about. Yeah, I just. Maybe talk about it. Yeah, I. I- there was like a whole um, Philadelphia Inquirer article that ended up being about my church experience with oh, wow. with a local church here in Philly called Epic that did this whole bait and switch thing. So they f- set up like an amazing worship experience. And then, you know, I started going there for months at a time. And then uh, when it was time to actually participate in the community of the church, I realized that because I was a practicing homosexual, I couldn't do the things that come naturally to me. So they didn't want me to help lead any um, small group studies. They didn't want me to um, help with uh, the music. And I was just like, this is taking all the fun out of it. This is, this is like right back where I started. Bait and switch. Anyway. Is that something? I'm curious. So that kind of scenario is exactly why we do what we do, right? So we have this database where people submit churches and then kind of provide links to evidence that we can find online. Mm-hmm. And we, based on the evidence we find, so it could be sermons, blog posts, beliefs page, denominational page, every, everything we can find, we create a score. And the scores are either clear or unclear, affirming or non-affirming. We also have undisclosed, so we cannot find anything. And we have actively discerning. So if a church is trying to figure out its position, uh, we let them be clear about that. But we just say that if you're going to have, be an active discerner, you have to have a date of resolution so you don't abuse it. And then our very last score is verified clear. We just we send churches a four-question survey, whether they're baptized, hire a mayor, ordain an LGBTQ person. And we send this, especially at this point, more to affirming churches. Sometimes the language is still pretty vague um, because of a variety of denominational like shenanigans. So that's kind of how we score. So we have about 1,500 submissions. Uh, we've published 871. We're hoping to get to 1,000 by this weekend. Mm-hmm. We have, you know, five to ten person volunteer team, three co-founders. Um, yeah, it's it's everything is being created as we speak. I love it. I am a part of um, an accelerator program that um, is just basically helping our BibleLab become the the organization that it should be um, to stand on all three legs. Cool. <clears throat> um, and. It's really cool because I get to network with people that I never would meet otherwise. Um, and uh, one person emailed me this week asking for a church in New York that was progressive. And I just sent him the the New York page from Church Clarity. I was just like, do what you got to do. But there's a couple here. Yeah. And he was so excited. He basically wrote back in all caps like, this is amazing. Thank you so much. And so yeah. you guys have been getting that kind of response, I guess, even from the press, right? Yeah, well, a lot of, I think the press who likes is are, is gay press and religious news service, but we have not gotten a lot of coverage from, like, Sojourners, um, 
or Christianity Today or... Who's going to get uh, anything from Christianity Today? They're just so <laughs> conservative. And... But it's just like even a critical article, you know, something. So beyond like small Christian outlets here and there, it's mostly like NBC out or like Vice, like pretty legit outlets to have, that have LGBT coverage, which is good. But yeah, I'm kind of surprised that more... I guess religious outlets aren't picking it. I think we might do something religious dispatches at some point. Um, but yes, yeah, so we get a lot of people who are like, thank God I can find a home for myself. Um, we also get a lot of people who say, thank God this church now has a warning sticker slapped on it so that no one comes near it. Um, what's the name of the church? I want to make sure that it's in our database. Is Epic. It, it's just called Epic. And what was the name of the article that referenced your experience? Um, it's the Philadelphia Inquirer. The Philly. This is the one about the app, and it mentions the church. Yeah. Well, no. Um, oh. So I told the the reporter Kristen Holmes all yeah. about the church, and I actually spent um, a couple days having one on ones with the pastor to talk about this, and he just wouldn't budge. But I think the pastor is also one of her. Um, who she, uh, a Christian who she reaches out to for quotes from time to time. So for whatever reason, the name of the church didn't get in there, but I definitely blasted it, and I'm trying to figure yeah. out. <laughs> you have not been shy about it. No. Um, the Okay, so it's Epic Church. Do you know what denomination it's part of? Um, I think they're just evangelical. You think, but sometimes they got connections. Uh, Epic dot church, right? Yes. So I presume the website's undisclosed. More or less, there's nothing on the website. Um, there isn't anything on the website. They don't really talk about it. And in fact, when I sat down with the pastor, Pastor Kent Jacobs, he didn't want to talk about it either. Um, so that was my actually epiphany. So I've never, for the most part, I, I've never personally experienced like a lack of clarity or being de or like being deceived partly because my default assumption is that unless they state that they're core affirming they're not so I I've never been surprised but what made me interested in clarity was when I was reporting on the sojourners article and I was trying to get a pastor to go on the record to state the church's policy and I thought it would be like fairly straightforward because I have a member of his congregation who's going on the record saying that he cannot be a worship leader he cannot be a member yeah, <clears throat> and so I was like, "Well, is he lying or is he not?" You know, it was like a basic fact-checking kind of question. And half he refused to give me a straight answer. He was like, "It's a conversation, individual, case by case basis. Yep. Policies are black and white and are not loving. Accuse me of being not loving." So I was like, "I don't want to get into a debate with you. I'm just a journalist here." Yeah. But um, and then halfway through, he was shocked to realize I was using the name of the church. And the source I was using actually, like, retroactively came back, hey, can you not use the name? I was like, I'm sorry, I just got, you told me the name, so I'm going to use it. This is why being journalist is a little bit hard. Um, mm. It's hard to have, have to be friends with everyone. Mm -hmm. It's probably not a good thing. Um, but I was just like, how's, and the, the pastor went off. He was just like, how dare you use our name? Like, how does this serve the body? You know, how does it, I don't know, promote the kingdom? I was like, uh... I don't really have to explain myself to you. So, um, That's but crazy. It was, it, I was like, wow, this is something like a lot deeper than what I thought. You it's know, like they're trained to, to back away from the question and not address it. 
you know, because it's happening everywhere. It's not just my church experience or yours. Um, mm -hmm. I don't know what's causing them to not want to outwardly say we are anti-gay because it's not like it's not like people are going to show up at the church and riot, you know? It's basically just letting people know where they can and cannot worship. <laughs> yep, yep. There's a host of psychological reasons. I try to spend too much of my time psychoanalyzing, not affirming pastors, but yes, uh, who knows? But it was definitely eye-opening for me to report the article and realize that churches wouldn't even like confirm i mean he was the only pastor who got back to me other pastors just like flat out refused to respond what good is it what good is it but i mean that's why i like what we do it's kind of is like it's nice as a ghostwriter so much of my work is about pleasing clients and in this case we don't have to please anyone maybe like donors potentially but we don't have to please these churches in fact we're sort of like the I don't know, bad cop in the room mm. just by telling truth. Yeah. Yeah. I really love this spotlight that you guys are building. Um, what do you think will happen next with it? So your goal this, the end of this week is to get a thousand churches. Um, yeah. And what? I mean, my main goal is, so the big thing beyond catching up with a backlog of churches, we get about, you know, 10, 15 church submissions a week, if not more. So we can keep up with that. We just have like a backlog of 600 churches we have to get through first. Mm -hmm. um, but March 8th, I believe we are, and we call this episode goes live right before so people can know about it. Yeah. We're launching women in leadership. Um, mm. That's the next level of policy and clarity. So most likely, we still have to finalize things, but most likely we're going to focus on not just on policy, but on representation of women in leadership positions. Yeah. So um, we're gathering like a cohort of people. If you'd like to be a part of it, that'd be great mm -hmm. to survey where we say, here's our framework. Uh, what do you think about it? Uh, feedback. Um, what are we missing? We might, we'll try and incorporate like um, sexual assault harassment stuff by kind of uh, indicating if someone if, a, if an allegation has been made we'll like link to that or maybe put an icon like a time's up icon who knows um, but we're still figuring out that that's what our goal is on March 8th which is really soon International Women's Day International Women's Day I love it yeah if there's a way that I can be a part of it or um, further your platform I'm in let me know Sounds good. Submit your church for review at churchclarity.com. Don't forget to check out our Bible app at ourbibleapp.com and please remember to subscribe. If you want to find out more about me, Crystal Cheatham, you can hit me up at hi at crystalcheatham.com or on Twitter at Crystal Cheatham. Okay, bye!